Welcome to the Holes of Mark podcast show, and today I am talking to Geraldine St. Joseph. He's often very specific in detail and always highly transformative. Her information uplifts the spirit, gives one a sense of direction filled with many possibilities. She has helped clients through difficult times, assisting in discovering the reasons for seeming tra- traumatic events. Geraldine St. Jovis is a clairvoyant, intuitive reader, utilising a variety of de- de- deviation tools. She enjoys helping others through her spiritual gifts. Joanne hopes her metaphysical talents with her education to offer different spiritual guidance services, ranging from couples guidance to business consulting. She has a BA in communications with concentrations in law and psychology. Geraldine has been reading for others since the age 11 and has offered her services professionally since 1994. Geraldine's client base stands from across the world, from Japan, Australia and even more. Geraldine offers her readings and guidance by phone and in person and classes by internet for long distance or time challenged clients. She is a highly effective motivated speaker delivering Talks on various subjects, seminars, and classes include initiative tarot, completing the circle, paths of self empowerment, power gem cells, living with a heart series, and more. And you can contact her if you wish to know more. And hi, Jolene, and how are you today? Hello, how are you? I'm doing quite well, thanks. Now, can you tell me when what it was like when you've got your first reading from a, per, uh, a departed person. So you're asking about my first reading where I was speaking to a departed person or my first reading period? First reading period, I think we'll go there. Okay, so the first time I read for someone else, I was in grade school. I was like nine or ten years old. Um, and I went to Catholic school, so it was very interesting that um, one of the other kids should come to me and ask me to do a reading for them. Um, I don't think we called it that, but they knew that I could see things and I knew things that the other kids didn't. So they were having a problem at home and they just asked me to help them sort things out. And it, it felt it felt good to be able to help somebody and to be able to calm somebody down and give them a little bit of peace. So that's when, how it felt. when you hear the voices, do they do they do they sound to the person they were when they originally were alive? Yes, one hundred percent. Actually, what happens is I used to be in sales. I used to do telemarketing which was sales over the phone. And one of the things they teach you is to mirror the accent of whoever you're speaking with. So oftentimes when I'm doing a reading, if a departed loved one comes in, I will start speaking with the same diction and pick up hand movements and things like that from them. And there are often times where the person I'm reading knows who it is way before I um, 
um, get a name or anything like that, they'll be like, oh my goodness, you, my grandfather says that all the time, or oh my goodness, it's, that's my mom, you're doing my mom, so it's almost like I'm doing a, uh, an imitation of them as they're, they're speaking because I pick up on the speech patterns. Now, when you mention metaphysical, could you explain to listeners what that generally means? So the word divination, is that correct? Divination. Um, Divination would be divining or discerning um, messages, connecting with the divine, which could be God, the Christ, whoever you consider divine or whatever you consider that sacred to be. When you're doing divination, you're connecting with that part of source that is then giving you information. Do you believe in the fact that we all have guardian angels? That we all have what? Guardian angels. A guardian angel. Um, I believe that... Hmm. Yes and no. We do have guardians who are angels. I don't know that we're all born with a specific guardian who follows us throughout our lifetime. I have met people, and it's been my experience that there are some people in the world who this changes, where it's a different type of guardian or um, the guardian angel itself, that specific entity may change during the course of a person's lifetime, depending on what they need. Um, So... Yes, I believe in guardian angels. No, I don't believe that everyone has one. There are different cultures who do not have angels, and they have things like totems and guardian animals and things like that, which have the same duty, but are not exactly the same type of energetic. I thought I mentioned that because, as you may not know, I have had a near-death experience myself. Mm-hmm. And when I was in my coma, I heard a woman's voice I'd not heard before or since, and they told me to wake up, and I had the most overwhelming feeling I've ever had to wake up. And I seriously believe that was my guardian angel or spirit guide. Wow, yes, definitely. It would be... Um... And for you, I do feel like it was angelic. Well, I felt so, it. I felt it was very powerful. It was, it was as a, it, I had, as I say, it was the most overwhelming feeling I've ever had to wake up. I know some people will say, look at the scientific way, as I've mentioned before, with other people, that the it's your brain releasing chemicals, blah blah blah. But I seriously believe it was. And also, I know for a fact that when I was in my coma, I was neither in the real world or the next world. So that's why I oh. like to call myself a.k.a. Ghostman, because technically I was a ghost for three weeks. I didn't exist. Wow. 
amazing. And I always find it incredibly interesting when we find people who have had these types of experiences who are aware enough to be able to share them and courageous enough to be able to share them with the rest of us. Well, I think it's important because I've talked to other people and it's like I've mentioned before to people that you touch something and I think this is a version of your own heaven and your own hell. I honestly believe that we have an individual heaven and an individual hell that we create ourselves. I don't think there's like one heaven and one hell. I think we're allowed to, we, we, we create our own version of it as such.
Yeah, I I I I I actually think that um, sometimes I I saw a program once upon a time on British TV called the Female Disciples of Christ, and basically the Emperor Constantine, who didn't like women, wrote them out of the Bible, and he also took out the uh, the uh, um, oh, what's the word. Like the Wicca version of the Bible, you know. The, the Gnostic. Yeah, he took that out. Yeah. And, and basically, the Bible we're reading now is his version that, as the victor, uh-huh. wrote, rewrote. So basically, it's like everything in history. I'm not, I'm not criticising, I'm just saying that everything that we see in history is always from the victor side of the, the view, not the person that was conquered. Yeah, that's Definitely. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not knocking it. I mean, I'm not saying the Bible's like, but it's like everything. You go, you go down the river, you catch a fish. You're not going to say the fish is like three inches. You're going to say it was at least a foot long, aren't you? Oh yeah. So you, so you can, It's a, they're slightly exaggerated. I don't mean it's totally exaggerated. I don't mean it that way. I'm, you know, sorry if anybody's listening like that. I don't mean it that way. I just mean that it, it's. Every tale is slightly exaggerated, a little bit. Well, and the other thing is, it's like whisper down the lane. I don't know if you ever played that as a kid, where you have a a sentence, and you have like ten people in a row, and you whisper it one to the other, and you have the sentence written on a piece of paper, so you know what you started with. And then when you get to the last person, it's a completely different sentence. It may or may not sound anything like what you started with, depending on how many people you have and everything. Yeah, we did the same so in when you're talking thing. about things like the Bible, where it was an oral tradition, and like the Quran, they were oral traditions for hundreds of years, and then they were finally written down. One of, and then since they've been written down, like I know the Bible has over 250 different versions, meaning that the translations are different, whether it's just a couple of words or whole passages are different. So it's definitely a matter of interpretation and really feeling into these sacred texts when you read them and when you study them to find the meat, to find the true meaning behind them. Yes, uh, that's why I like debating things, because I think it's important, even if you're not completely religious, because I did RE at school, and what the, the teacher used to do about RE, he used to put like two bits on the on a chalk on the chalkboard, like um, Jesus rising from the dead. Let's take that as an example, right? And he would say the version in the Bible, and then he would go right. Was he in a coma? Was Jesus in a coma? And he came out of the coma. Was, was the body moved by other people and replaced? That kind of thing. So it was questioned, but you didn't, it wasn't like, oh, it, this is this version, that, that version. It was a way of debating what we know, and it's, it, it, you know, it's up to you what, what you're willing to accept. Exactly. And it's, it's about debating with, without the judgment and the anger that we see so much, especially on social media, the belittling, the bullying. It's true debate. 
where you're seeking knowledge and you're seeking to learn more and see other points of view as opposed to just shut everybody else up and make them do what you want them to do. Yeah, because as you probably know yourself when you do your lectures, I mean, I imagine when you do them, you try to involve the audience as such. Oh, definitely, yes. I, I love audience participation and the back and forth questioning and the discussion. And that's one of the reasons, too, why I always let people know I've come to these conclusions because of my experience. It doesn't mean it's locked down or it's the only way to look at things. It just means that because of what I've experienced, these are the conclusions I've come to. That could change if my experience changes. So it's being open to listening and seeing what other people have experienced also and incorporating that into our our body of knowledge. Yeah. And do you find that when you're um, doing your counselling that it helps the people that you're talking to through your mixture of your skill set that you have? and many different life experiences so that when I'm speaking to people and I talk to people all over the world, uh, I have to set aside where I'm at and look to where they are and try and help them to find a better future. So when I'm doing coaching, it's a little bit different than when I'm doing an actual reading, a session. Because when I'm doing coaching, it's more about getting into the meat of the person, whereas when I'm doing a, a psychic session, it's more about following their energetic and seeing what's in store for them and what choices they need to make and what their choices are. So if that answers your question. Yeah. Uh, when, when you do your readings for people, do you, do you have any sense any auras or any sort of unusual things while you're re doing the reading? It depends on the person, actually. My information comes from a lot of different sources and avenues. So most of my readings are over the phone or via internet. Uh, so they're, they're typed out. Um, so far as seeing auras, I can see auras on occasion. That is not one of my gifts. That's there all the time. Somebody has to be particularly strong or have something majorly happening or have to be in a certain state, I guess, to really be able to see auras themselves. But what I do is I follow their energy. So I kind of, I don't even know how to explain it really. It's like we all have an energetic being. And from us, there are these cords that lead out of us and go off in the direction that we want to go in. So if you follow the cord, you can follow it into the future and see the potential of each decision that the person has to make. So I don't know if that answers it, but that basically is, is what makes the difference. Now, some people, dead relatives will pop up right away and they'll have things to say and, and they're going to need some kind of confirmation or something needs to happen with that. 
other people, it's more about being delivered a message from spirit that spirit being the all that is, um, like the greater spirit that needs to be known so they can make good decisions. Whereas other people, it's about like getting down to the nitty gritty and actually looking inside their own soul to see what needs to be adjusted or fixed. And then some people you have where the, the phone won't work right because they have some kind of negative entity around them and that you have to clear before you can even do anything. So there's all different types of readings and it just depends on the person I'm, I'm dealing with. Have you ever had a reading come through to someone while you're talking to them, uh, at like a normal chat? Yes, I tend to, that happened more when I was younger, I would say. Um, I feel personally, ethically, that it is not my right. It's like a privacy issue. <laughs> So, like, I always have out my feelers to make sure that I am safe and that my environment is safe. But I'm not always, like, checking in on your energetic. Now, if you're my friend and you're upset then you, and you come to me and you want my help, then I'll check in on your energetic. But I don't like strangers and that kind of thing. I don't walk up to people and tell them, oh, you have this and that. Because I feel it's incredibly, incredibly rude and invasive so i would i would not do that to someone unless there was some major reason for it and i've not ever come across that so that's my own my own take on that i'm, I'm not always on there's a part of me that's on but i'm not constantly reading everybody around me so if you're having a regular conversation with me you don't have to be worried about me looking into your energetic and, and seeing things that you don't want me to see or seeing things that are none of my business. You know oh, what I mean? I thought I'd just be, mention it because some people think it's like like being a comedian or a famous person. They presume that you're that person 24-7 a day, hours a day, but you're obviously not. It's like you say, you know, you have to have downtime or... I think that it's invasive and impolite to, to do that to other people. So you create boundaries around yourself. And I teach my students to do that because if you're on 24-7, you will go crazy, especially if you live in a city where you're constantly surrounded by people and you're constantly surrounded by all that energy. It just it bombards you if you don't know how to shut off and um, – create those boundaries what do you think of people that say about cold calling I, I i know it's a bit of a controversial subject i'm not saying that people everybody does it but there is a system where people are able to cold call uh, were they cold read yes that's you right yeah more intuitive than they they give credence to because we're all psychic on some level we're all connected on some level and i think they just feel it's more socially acceptable to say that it's a cold read now a lot of people who cold read from what i can see are doing one of two things they're either 
trying to debunk people who have actual gifts with their own gifts, which is a disservice to the world, or they're trying to scam people, which is also a disservice to the world. So knowing when someone is cold reading is, you know, is something that that's good. I mean, I have people who, when you do a reading, they are absolutely silent. They give you nothing. They're so closed that it's, it's hard to read them. So that is blocking off the energetic also. That makes it more difficult. Now, when I do readings, I always start off with, I don't tell me anything. And I do the beginning of the reading, and then you can ask me questions. But what spirit needs to say to you is more important, so that's what comes up first. And I have you not say anything so that also I am not accused of cold reading. Plus, you're not in front of me. So... Um, now that doesn't mean that you never ask qualifying questions. I may be getting something and it's not clear, so I may ask you a qualifier to see if I'm on the right track. But should I be asking you everything? Unless it's a coaching session, then it's mostly questions. But if it's a reading, I shouldn't be fishing for things. I should have something in mind and be like, okay, this is what I'm getting. Boom, boom, boom. Does that sound right? Or I'm getting this, this, and this. Who do you think this could be? Or, you know, things like that. As opposed to just trying to pull all the information from you. Well, I had a reading once when I was talking to someone because I was organising a podcast with him called Evelyn Bryan. She's mm-hmm. a, um, anyway, whilst I was talking to her, she had our, one of our departed dogs come through. I didn't mention too much to her. I thought, oh, I'll let her say what colour and everything. And she was pretty accurate. There's some things she got wrong. But like you say, it's not exact science. I don't expect it to be dead right. You know, it's it's not like you can say... It's, sometimes they, they're only giving you certain certain words or certain connections. It, you know, it's, right. it's like you're joining the dots, isn't it? Exactly. And it's coming through a human filter. So what they're giving me is then skewed by whatever my experience is. It's coming through my filters. So I find it difficult when I'm doing readings for people in other cultures that I'm not familiar with or a culture that I know where being a female might be dangerous or different things like that. Um, Because then it's more difficult for me to just be open and say whatever needs to be said because I know there are consequences. And the consequence is not that this man is going to divorce this woman. The consequence is that he's going to murder her, you know. So there, there's a lot that goes into it. And there's definitely a piece of the psychic that goes into the reading, whether we want it to be that way or not. The more polished a psychic is or the more, I don't even know what to call it, the more we do or the more people that we see or the more kinds of people that we see when we if we work on it we can develop um, an objectiveness to things where it's easier for us to see things and be more clear about it 
than someone who gets more emotionally entangled in it. Um, someone who's more emotionally entangled will tend to put more of their own views and viewpoints into the reading. Yeah, it's not fair to the client. Yeah, it's a bit like when you do a podcast. You you've got ideas, and you read the you read the um, bio, and you're thinking, "All right, I'll ask that question." And you're thinking, "Well, I've, I've got to word it in a way that doesn't offend somebody." Or it's like um, I'm going to ask you now. Like, I know you're an author, and you've written quite a few books. What inspires you to write your books? chapter for you to uh, for you for your uh, uh, to promote your books um, I found it very interesting the way you wrote the style you wrote it like the way you that when I was reading it I could I could get involved in it quite quickly you know you know when you read a book sometimes it takes a little while to get into it you know yes. you might get in it to by chapter two or three I, I was starting to get into it while I was reading it while I was doing the prologue bit and the chapter one bit I could see what the, the, the way you was going the way you pointed out the way you were getting your abilities and how it came about. And I, I was finding it more and more, more interesting. Thank you. Yeah, I tried to make it almost conversational 
uh, and a lot of what I write comes from my lectures and when I do seminars and things like that. So it is very conversational. I, I try to keep things with a certain flow to it, too. So you're not like reading and they go, wait, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? Why is that there? Uh, which is jarring. I like to be able to just to get into a book and and follow it straight through. Do you find that when you do books, people always have this illusion that you're going to be a secret millionaire by the end of the month? Because obviously there read people like um, J.R. Rowling, who's a very lucky person, and sold millions and millions of books. I think people don't people don't realise that you have to sell quite a lot of books to make any money back. Yes. Well, that's why e-books are good. That's why I did e-books, although... I have two or three of the books that are in ebook and in paperback form. But with ebooks, you're not putting out a lot of money to put them out there. And I feel like my books are more resource material. I didn't do it to make money, I did it to help people. So the little bit that I make back is awesome, but it's there as a resource, and I like being able to direct people to them to help them through troubling times if I don't if I can't fit them in or I don't have the, the time to sit and talk to someone I have something I can direct them towards and yes and that's important because if you have a problem and I've, I've had various problems in my life I think it's always best to admit you've got the problem and try to seek help and if that doesn't that method doesn't work try a different method not everything works for everybody exactly Exactly, and that's why when I wrote the second one about uh, psychic self-defense, I have all different methods in there so that you should be able to find something that will work for you Um, because I'm like you. I believe that everybody's got their own energetic. Everybody's on their own vibe. Something that works for me might not work for you. Like one of the things that I like to use is rose water. Rose is a very high vibration. If you have anything on you or around you, if you spritz rose water on you and around you, it will immediately let go. However, there are people who are allergic to roses or abhor the smell of roses, or maybe there's some other reason why they can't. Maybe they don't have access to rose water, so you have to give them something else that they could do or use. Um, to help them in that kind of a, a situation where they're trying to discern if it's an internal issue or an external issue. Well, I've learned to live with my various problems because I have mild small vessel disease of the brain, which affects my cognitive skills like memory and speech. And I have um, neurological problems. And I also have OCD, which, you know, you know. But I've learned to accept my illnesses as like I'm going to have a good day and a bad day, because I used to try to fight him too much. Yeah. And I think the trouble is, if you fight him too much, you come super aware of it too much. So I'm not too worried now if I make too many mistakes. Right. Well, and if you fo- what you focus on becomes stronger. So if you just 
sat there thinking about your shortcomings all the time, they become more than shortcomings and they become overwhelming. So you have to focus on, I, I tell my clients all the time, keep your eye on the prize. Look up, look to what you want instead of focusing on what you don't want. Look at what you can do instead of what you can't. I'm a problem solver. There's usually a workaround. I'm not going to say always because sometimes things hold you back and they're meant to. But there's usually a workaround. There's usually something you can do to help you attain whatever goal it is that you have. And it's about really moving in that direction and keeping your focus and your energy moving in that direction. So, I mean, you do great. You do wonderful work. And I've seen you had a blog before, didn't you? Or you I, I, still, I still do it, yeah. I do one called Ghost Man, yeah. Yes, I remember that. So, I mean, you do a lot. Oh, yes, I'm a bit of tactic, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you do a lot, period, not even considering that you have these difficulties, but you're still accomplishing a lot, and that's saying something. It's good. Well, I've got a hyperactive mind sometimes, I have. That's why I like doing podcasting, because I started it originally because I like to talk to people, and I use my skills from when I used to be in care work. I used to be work with people with mental health, and special needs, people with challenging behaviour. And with that skill, you had to learn to listen and talk and treat people as equals. And that's the most important thing. I always try to treat people not as the illness, but as a person. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And that's a good thing to promote. Well, that's what I'm trying to promote to people. I'm trying to let people see that you don't have to find something you're good at and just keep plugging away. Don't worry if you're not going to, you know, it's not, as you say, it's not about being famous. It's basically being thinking, oh, one person like that. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I have a friend who actually, um, I also have some disabilities that I'm dealing with physically. And we started doing things at the same time, and she has the energy and the sustainability or whatever to continually move forward and promote herself and do all this stuff. And she's in a place where I could be if I did not have my physical problems. But we would look at things, and it was hysterical because, like, she put up she puts up YouTube videos now and she's like, Oh, I only got a thousand views last night. And I'm like, look, I got 200 views in the lifetime of this video. You know, like I'm all excited. So it's all a matter of perspective and appreciating what you've got and what's there. And then knowing where you can go with it. Like knowing how far you can push yourself. I know I can only do so much. I'm a, a single person. I don't have, people working for me or someone supporting me financially I have to do it on my own so it limits time but at the same time it creates an incentive to do better and to do more so instead of using things as excuses to hold you back you use them as building blocks to help you move forward and I think that's important because I mean back at school I was kept back at school for a year Basically because me and a girl 
and I don't really know why we was kept back because my mother went in and she wasn't very nice to the lady. But we don't go there. Anyway, uh, I, I had a, that whole year has affected my life probably quite a lot because I think I had to always play catch up. And I think in a way that made me more. I wouldn't say I'm hyper intelligent, but I'm more try to understand things a bit better. I was at primary school. Okay. That was... Yeah. Yeah, primary school. So, ultimately, that worked for you. Yeah, in the long run, you could look back, yes. And like I said to people before, I'm not the mark I was back then, I'm the mark now. And you're not the... Geraldine, you was back then. We, we develop different views, different, learn different traits. And... I'm a great believer in not going back to the past. You can't deny your past. I'm not saying you can deny it. I'm not going there. I own up to it. But I'm a great believer you shouldn't live it. Correct. Very good. Yes. I concur wholeheartedly. You Being in the now is very important. And not worrying about the future so much also. It's not about not looking at sustainability and... You want to prepare for the future, but don't live there because then you miss today. And today is really all you have. Today is all that's guaranteed. What you're in right now is all that's guaranteed. You have no idea if a week from now you're going to, something's going to happen and then you're no longer in physical form. So focusing on the now, but preparing for the future, making sure if there's a storm coming, you got bread, milk, and cheese in the, in the refrigerator. That's good, but don't live there with worry and anxiety because it's wasted emotion. I concur on that because it's like when you lose a loved one. I, I mean, I lost my mum last year and I got a little... Oh. I imagine I got a tattoo on my leg with a big rose on it that says mum on it. And I got a tattoo oh. of my dad who died back in 2013. So I got my mum and dad of me and they're always permanently with me. Parents, that is very difficult. It, it was difficult. I mean, I was—I mean, I was probably more closer to me, Mum. I'm not going to lie about that. I did, and I did find it difficult. But I, and but I, I'm glad that I always took made the effort to talk to her, even if it was only on the phone a couple minutes every now and again, because I think the minute you lose that communication, and I have lost communication with my sisters, some of them, and I've tried to re-communicate, but I think I've blow my bridge as they would say but uh-huh. I'm that's any regret I have in my life but I think the trouble is you, you don't want to end up living with that regret because if you exactly. if, if you you've ever made the effort to make contact again and they don't really want to know there's not a lot you can do about it right but it's keeping the door open and continuing on occasion to make the effort that at least you know that you did what you had to do whether or not they reciprocated they knew that you were there for them that you were open and that you would listen if they needed you what they decide to do is that that's on them the ball is then on their court but I agree also I'm lucky enough I moved back near Philadelphia in the United States 
to be closer to my parents and family because I, I lived in Hawaii for a long time, which is a long way away. But even when I lived in Hawaii, I would come home once or twice a year so that I was, I saw everybody and I spoke to my parents almost every day on the phone, which some people may think is too much, but I'm, I'm close with both my parents. And I have always chosen experience over same money where when I have I've traveled across the entire United States I've been to almost every state except for two I stop and I visit everybody I see my family every three to five years my father's family has a huge family reunion I've gone to every single one no matter how I'm feeling or what's going on in my life I make the effort to go because you never know when you're going to go and not everybody's going to be there anymore. And we started losing members and it's, it's difficult, but at least we get to see each other on a happy occasion and we're not just seeing each other at funerals, which I, I think is really sad that some people let it get to that point. I think a person never truly dies as long as you've got a memory of them. Like you look at a picture and think, oh yeah, that was when we... Or I watch wrestling, and I remember my dad and me watching wrestling. Or when yeah. I watched Dallas, me and my mum, my mum was a avid soap fan, and we watched every episode of Dallas. So there are things that little things that mean nothing to nobody else, but mean a lot yes. to you. I think that's how you keep the memory of them alive. Yes, definitely. That and like, I don't know how it is where you are, but I know here a lot of people shy away from talking about people who have passed. Whereas, like, what I try to do is, especially in anniversaries and whatnot, we get together and we tell stories so that the memory's there. And the memory's there for the younger generation, too, who maybe never got to meet my grandmother, but they know all about her from our family stories and how we talk about the way she cooked or different funny things that happened when we were kids and it, it just keeps that tradition alive of remembering your ancestors and remembering the, the people who have gone before so yeah. to speak yeah that's a good idea I mean I've, I still think death as such has become a taboo subject plus I blame media a little bit because the, every other advert nowadays is like funeral insurance and, yeah. <laughs> and basically, yeah. I'm not being funny, you get immune to it. You don't even think about it. Uh-huh. But it's the one thing that we all going to ha- happen to us. As I like to say, it's a Star Trek thing. It's the final frontier. Yes. Exactly. We don't have as many funeral insurance commercials here. But they definitely have desensitized people uh, to it just with the video games and as much death as in movies. And it's never, it's always very flippant. Or most of the time it's very flippant, the deaths that you see in movies, because it's, they go from one to the next so easily and so quickly as if a person would not need to process that and would not need to grieve, whereas it's very important for us to grieve. So, I've always, I, 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 I always thought, now people say to me that cavemen buried the bodies because basically it was just a way of making sure that 
they were not eaten or something. But I think they had a sense of what we're talking about now. Because I honestly believe we've underestimated early man. I've, I've talked this bit theories before to people. I think that early man, because he had to be self-aware of his environment that he lived in, and he has given us the ability to be self-aware of cryptids and paranormal and UFO, and that's how we're able to tap in it. Because you look how we... Un- we always think early man was a bit of an idiot. He, he burnt fire, killed a few animals, ran around with a bear skin on his... Him and that was it. And went ugh-ugh all day. But, but when you actually look into archaeological... Because uh, I like archaeology. And you, you can find things like Stonehenge and places over there in America... That you look at them and you're thinking, how the hell did they build that? Yeah. Yeah, we still can't figure out so much of it. I agree with you. I think we gravely have underestimated our, the ancients and also that when there was less electronic noise around us all the time, it was easier to be in touch with nature and the earth and one another. Because there was not so much that was there simply to catch your attention. But we're in a goldfish age. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah. I call it goldfish because we don't retain the information. I know, I mean, I don't knock technology. Technology is a good thing. Because I, because I, I wouldn't be able to talk to you today if it was a bit technology. And it's like anything else, it's the way you use it. I think part of it, though, is that we've gotten overwhelmed with it. It's too much. There's an expectation where everyone is going to be at your beck and call all the time. I sent a text, and they didn't answer in like five minutes. What is going on? And that kind of thing. And and people have a problem. They're addicted to their phones. Oh, yeah, I do know what you mean, yeah. completely unnecessary. But... The trouble is now, if when we first had a phone, it was a phone. Nowadays, yes. I have a smartphone, and I could run an office on it. I wouldn't, yes. e- I wouldn't even have to go out the door. I could run my, an office from my phone. And, yes. and do faxing and accounts and you name it, I could do it all on my phone. Yeah. And I think that's what's made us more lazier in some ways. Yes. Yeah. Because, definitely. I mean, we all do it. I'm guilty as the same man. I'm not going to say name. But I try to, that's why I try to write or create songs or do a bit of comedy or use my brain a bit. Because I think it's important. I, I, I think we've lost the art of imagination. Yes. Because you had so, to know it, didn't you? Because because case yeah. you had to ring home or exactly. And nowadays, well, I know I've I've asked people, "What's your phone number?" And they're like, "I don't know." 
phone call myself. It's like, oh my God, like, how do you not know your own phone number? But that's where we're at is the memory has become so stripped and it's, it's not being used. So eventually that will diminish. And it's, it's kind of scary because the electricity is not always on. Google's not always up, and you're not always going to have a computer or cell phone or something like that always working all the time. You have to be able to use your brain, and it's a muscle. You need to use it. Well, yeah, I, I, that's the, I mean, I always say, like, everything, because I do um, sport things, and I always say that you have to be in the right mind to, be phys- to, to use the physical body, and vice versa. Yes. I definitely concur. I mean, you look at trained athletes, you know, the high-quality Olympians. They train and train and train because they are mentally tough enough to give up things because they want to get to this goal of winning a medal. A bit, right. hopefully. And that takes complete dedication of giving up something mm-hmm. and I think people they look for it and think oh I can't do that but you can do it if you put I mean I I've have anxiety and I, I used to get a bit uh, verbally aggressive I'm not going to say a lie because I do but I I, I I thought to myself I can't carry on like this because it's not fair on my wife so I'm learning ways of dealing with it that helped me not go off so much, mm-hmm. and and you know because I don't I don't want to make give her bad memories of it because she's had a past that I won't go into but it's not a very nice one, um but um and, and I thought well I got to I got to make the effort, and I think that's where people go wrong they think there's this magic pill that's going to come along and say, you know, there's your cure. There's no such thing as a cure, as such. Mm-hmm. It's how well, you deal with it. You have to have accountability. That's what you had. You took accountability. You said, this is me. I'm doing it. I'm not going to blame it on an illness or on something else. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to take accountability. I'm going to take responsibility. And I'm going to learn a way to change my behavior. That's what makes the difference. Yes, and exactly what you, like you told us before when you when you do your uh, classes and that. That's basically how you're guiding people, isn't it? You're not you're not giving you're not you're not saying, oh, I'm gonna cure, I'm gonna make you this person by tomorrow. They have to put the work in. You're only giving them the tool as such to use, but they don't put the effort in if they don't do the homework, as they as I would say. They will not get any better. So when they come back to you and say, Oh, Geraldine, this didn't work, you say, Did you try it? Oh, no, I read it a bit. You think, Well, if you gave it a go for a couple of weeks, you may have seen the difference. Exactly. Exactly. And when I do couples coaching, generally within three sessions, we know what's going on. We know whether the marriage can be saved, we know whether people want to put in the effort. And we know where people are at within three sessions. And there's no reason why other doctors can't do that quick kind of accountability thing. It's like, look, either you're going to do this or you're not. 
either we're going to work together or we're not. But don't pussyfoot around and just lead the other person on because they there's some something in it for you, but you're not willing to work on the relationship or you're not willing to work on yourself. I think I think we've given quite a good important message for people if they listen when they listen back. I think mm-hmm. they they realise that that they if like you say they they they're willing to look at the tools. I had put it this way when I used to be in care work, I used to use the method of a ladder. I used to say to the parent, patient, client, or people. I like the word people. I never like the word client, people, but people anyway. I used to say that you've got a ladder. And you're on the scale, like, 1 to 10. I say, how are you feeling today? Oh, about 6. I say, okay, that's not bad. I say, the 6 is quite good. Oh, is it? I say, well, you think about it. You're not a 1, you're not a 2, you're not down really low, you're sort of above the middle, so you're quite having a quite good, good day. Oh, yeah, I didn't think of it like that. And when you, they look back again, you say, how's your ladder today? Oh, I think about an 8. Oh, yeah, it's working, isn't it? You know, they, they start thinking about the good days, the bad days. Even people with mental ill problems know when they're going to have a bad day, as such. Mm-hmm. But that's what I've experienced. Yes, I, I think that's good. I like that, the idea of a ladder. That's good. I'm going to seal that, just so you know. That's okay. <laughs> you, can, you can use it. I don't mind. I, I I always I like I like the theory that if I can help one person in this world, I've achieved something. I can't help the millions. Nobody can. But like I said on the previous pod, uh, radio show I was on, if I help one person and you help one person and that person helps one person, it becomes a a chain reaction. Yes. Yes, it does. Did you see my book? Oh, no, I can't remember the name of it. Small Steps to Making the World a Better Place. Oh, you can change the world. Duh. You can change the world. Small Steps to Making the World a Better Place. I have 50 little things in there that you can do that change the energy around you, that change the world in a little way, because we all can do a little bit, and if everybody did a little bit, things would change very dramatically. Yeah, I'll definitely have to look that up. I'll, I'll look that one up on Amazon. Yeah, that one was fun doing. Uh, just coming up with ways, different things that you could do. I did things like smile as you're walking down the street. Make eye contact and smile at people. Oh, I do that constantly. I'm a, my, my wife is always telling me off because I'm, I'm, because I'm a proper Essex lad. He's always oh. going, all right, mate, all right, how's it going? Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. It's just a typical. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's just how we go, you know. We, it's I'm, I'm a, I, I, when I used to when I first went into care work, I was I, when I was doing I was working uh, doing my job. A lot of pa- my patients said to me, come up to me and said, "Are you a patient?" I said, "No, I'm working." And I thought, no, I I didn't mind it because I thought, no, I blended in because he obviously thought. Yeah. Because I wasn't the typical, come from a, uh, I, I came from a, a labouring background. I, I've never done care work as such. I just and got into it for volunteer work. 
What actually was very much a compliment because you made him feel comfortable enough that you were on the same level. You weren't looking down your nose at him that he saw you as a peer, which is, that's a compliment. I thought so because, uh, I, as yeah. I said, I always tried to treat people well they treated me. And if, if he was being a bit naughty, I'd look up and say, look, hey, Am I talking to you like this? Am I swearing? Am I shouting? Am I being difficult? No. So, if you're carrying on, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to make the effort. I'm not going to make go out my way to help you out if you're going to be like this. And you walk away for five minutes and come back. Say, so are you right now? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's good, though. That's good. I mean, that works whether you're talking about dealing with children or dealing with other adults, um, especially adults. I mean, kids usually get it faster. But even when you're working with adults, not to tolerate poor behavior and to call people out on their poor, pe poor behavior. I think that's very important, and it's something that I don't know about other places in the world, but in America, man, is it lacking. You're not allowed to say anything. Everything's got to be politically correct. And, you know, no. there's so many, there's so much judgment in everything. And people just are afraid to interact anymore. Well, I, I could do uh, about 20 podcasts on political correctness. It's one of my pet hates because basically it's a form of mind control. Yes. Because... We, we, I, 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 again, I use a sample that I use on other shows. Uh, that you go down the park, you watch kids playing, you know, as you do, because you remember when you was on the kids' swing, and oh, I used to take my kids. But you don't want to hang around because you may be perceived as something you're not. I won't mention the word because it's not nice. Exactly, especially a male. Yes, I mean, I, mean, I would not want to be a white man in today's society if you gave me all the money in the world. It's very difficult all, because... All the, the ills of the world are heaped on your shoulders. Because you've got to be careful how you talk to kids. Because I only talk to kids that I know. If, I mean, obviously I get to know them through their parents first. But if I see them out and I know who they are, I say, oh, hello. But that's it. I don't go and have a 20-mile conversation with them. In case people think, oh, what's he doing hanging around with them? Because I, I, I know I've got nothing in common with them. It's just that I know them... Through a club or something, you know. God bless you. Yes, exactly. Well, and it's sad. It's sad because when sometimes a child needs an adult, and not all adults are bad. And especially men are looked at as if they have any kind of a good relationship with kids, there must be something wrong with him. And that's really not true. It's a very small percentage of the population that has tendencies that kids need to be aware of. Well, I know for a fact, because I used to work with such clients, that most of, 90, 95% of it is in the family. Yeah. I'm not being nasty or horrible. Or I'm, I won't go into details, but 95% of it was in the family. Very rarely outside the family. Does happen, but not as frequently. Stranger Danger campaign 
that that was like the worst thing that they did because most of the time abuse does come from within the family, family, friends, or people that the child is familiar with as be doing like a white light meditation. And I have one online that I could send you the, um, the link for that's an audio that you can listen to. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I mean, as I say, um, because as I'm learning more and more, I call myself a student. I never call myself an expert. That's, that's too pretentious. But I am learning, learning more and more about, and I have my own theories about God and religion and whatever. I put them out there. I don't expect people to believe them. I don't expect people, I, I just, I use it as a method of debate. Because like you said, if you don't debate something, you don't learn. It's like, right. it's like I don't understand certain things. It's like when people go on about just say certain religions because a woman has to wear a full dress. Just for argument's sake, we won't mention the religion. But because that is how they are perceive it, it how they perceive what is mentioned in that their version of the Bible, that. would come to the door everybody else usually runs but I liked having those conversations because they wanted to talk to you and if you got the right person I mean sometimes they would slam the door on my face and run away but most of the time they wanted to have that conversation because they were trying to teach you something and what they ended up doing was figuring out that there was more than one way to look at things and I enjoy that. I enjoy the conversation. Oh, I, I can so tell you too about you that. Too. I was in, when I was in my job one day. Um, one of them came to the door about God because he obviously thought it was a house. I said, "Oh, you're welcome to come in if you like." A lot of people in here think they're God. And I told I told the manager. He said, "You didn't say that." I said, "Yeah." <laughs> I said, "He soon went. He didn't bother coming back, did he?" No. <laughs> well, it wasn't a lie, because a lot of them did used to think, oh, God, you know. Because that's a common, that is a common thing in mental illness. I'm not being nasty or horrible. It is a common, common factor, God or the devil. It's very common. Yes. Very, very common. More common than people think. That's, uh, that goes along with my theory. And this is my, this is a, a, only a theory that I've mentioned to other people as well. Uh, God is a schizophrenic. I like that theory. Because basically, we born in God's image, and we were both we were both good and evil. And I think He has to be both. Yes. I know people are going to say, "Oh God, you can't say that." It's that's being sacrilegious. It's not being sacrilegious. It's just a debate. Sometimes is when we talk about they're like evil, everything is evil, and I'm like, well, 
so you have angels and you have demons. So angels were created and they feed on our emotions of love and happiness, those types of emotions. It creates a certain biological effect in your body and, and that's what they, they feed on that emotion. Then you have demons and demons feed on fear, anxiety, um, hate, dislike, things like that. So an angel, when an angel is around you, they're going to try and promote the types of feelings that they feed on. And that it's going to make you feel that way because that's basically what they're, you are, what you eat, right? And a demon is going to do the same thing. But because we see the emotions that a demon feeds on as wrong, we perceive them as evil. But they're just eating. It's like a gazelle on the African outback, like... They are living their life. They're having a grand old time. Then they see a lion. If the lion is hungry, it's evil because it wants to eat me. But is the lion really evil or is the lion just doing what lions do? Is it just surviving? Yeah, I quite so agree with that theory. I, I think you're quite yeah. correct because, like you say, we, we if you go in a... When I, I could give an example. When I used to be in care, if someone used to kick off, it was like a, um, a domino effect. Everybody would kick off. Oh, yeah. And people say, oh, don't be silly. I say, you never worked in care work. You don't know. And the theory about the full moon is true. Yes. Not It's not always dead on the full moon. Sometimes it's before or just after. But it was always more trouble then. I used to hate it. I used to think, oh, God, it's full moon today. What am I going to go? What am I going to put out with today? Everyone I know who works in hospitals, um, police officers, even firemen, they hate the full moon. It's just a bad time, day before, the day of, and the day after, generally. Well, you think about it. We are. I think it is. It. I may be correct because I'm not. I'm not. I've not studied in it me. But I think we're eighty percent water. So the yeah, the moon. Yeah, the moon pulls on the oceans, so obviously it's pulling on us slightly, as such. So I imagine, I wonder if that imbalances us just a little bit, just enough to make us not act the normal way, as we would normally. I think so. I mean, that makes sense to me. I, I, I know some scientists are listening to this now going, no, 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 no. No, do you mean a mark? This, this is the fact. Please, please do. I want, I want people to write things and say, no, no, it's this and this and this, because that's the point of doing discussions with the people like Geraldine, who are, you know, you can have a intelligent debate and conversation with, and you could learn things at the same time. Is there any links you'd like to give to anybody before we sign off?
I don't have that. Uh, well, I don't know if they were on the Amazon. When I looked them up on Amazon, they were. You you got a page that comes up on Amazon.com. Yes. It, it comes up yeah. your name. So I know it's on Amazon UK. So anybody listening, you, you look up Jolin St. Joseph. You'll find a little page that you find all the little all the books available. Uh, as you said, said some are in ebook, some are paperback, whichever you prefer. I prefer paperback yes. myself because you can save the page a little bit better. There's a number of times I've read a book and I lose the page on electric one I could not have mentioned. Anyway, Julian, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming. It's it's easier to carry on a plane as well, or a boat, or a train. You can just use it, you type into the the old electronic bit and read it. Anyway, yes, yeah. Uh, right, Jeremy, we're coming to the end of the show, and I'd like to do a sign-off, <laughs> if you're ready. Okay. Are you ready? <clears throat> I've just got yes, to clean up. <clears throat> Thank you, Geraldine, for being on my show. I liked our chat. It was some information you know. I thank you very much for being on my show. So good night. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Hello.